Dude, when, it, when that song starts, it's like, I'm ready for, like, breaking news, like, coming at you, right, from Cincinnati, you know, from the KT. You know, it's like, what the fuck is this? Like, you know, like, <laughs> Dude, totally. <laughs> the Germans have taken Belgium. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Hello and welcome back to another episode of 1001 Album Complaints, the show where all experienced musicians and old friends break down an album each week from Robert Dimery's seminal book, 1000 Albums, You Must Hear Before You Die. This week, we've been listening to Madonna's Like a Prayer, 1989 release Like a Prayer. So, without further ado, let's get into it. As a way of introducing the folks we have here in the studio, I'd love to hear your tweet-length review of Madonna's Like a Prayer, and I am going to kick this to Tom first. Well, yeah, it's Tom here. This album's got three bangers and a bunch of really terrible songs. I made a joke that I listened to the Steven Seagal, you know, hard-to-kill Steven Seagal <laughs> album, uh, songs from the Crystal Cave, and that I would rather listen to that than listen to Like a Prayer, and I was not joking about that. I got way more pleasure listening to Steven Seagal than I did Madonna, but I cannot deny there are three bangers in this album. <laughs> okay. We're going we're gonna to kick it right over to Adam. Hey, this is Adam, and I, I would probably just say that I really wish Prince had sang on every one of these songs, and I feel like it would have been a much different album. Ooh. Well, agreed, but I think we're going to disagree on what you mean by that. <laughs> now we're going to kick it to Phil. Yeah, yeah, right on. I felt like uh, with this record, I felt like, you know, between Michael Jackson's Bad and Michael Jackson's Dangerous, uh, there's Madonna's Like a Prayer. And uh, I, I think there's a lot of interesting similarities here, uh, including the sort of fall off equality. Great. And I'm a little biased by having researched the record thoroughly, but it was my first time through. I'm going to say that dancehall hitmaker Madonna throws a heck of a lot of spaghetti at the wall to see what sticks. Does it stick? I guess we'll find out. So let's get into a little background on this. I will speak for myself in that, of course, I am familiar with some of these hit songs. You couldn't escape them in our childhood and you in the same way you couldn't escape Madonna for at least a couple decades worth of hits and music videos however I had never sat down and listened to an entire Madonna record this was a truly virgin listen pun intended it was released <laughs> on March 21st 1989 on Sire Records give you a little bit of context of what was going on musically in the world the biggest hit song that week I had never heard this song, and I don't really recommend listening to it, but I will put it on the Spotify playlist, was Mike and the Mechanics, The Living Years. We're in, we're in full 80s cheese mode here. That is not ringing <laughs> any bells at all. Yeah. yeah. I, I know Mike and the... I've heard the, the name of the band, but that song does not... Uh... Yeah, it wasn't familiar to me either, so I'm always a little surprised by these weekly hits when you look up the Billboard charts... Worth, worth mentioning, though, that Eternal Flame by the Bangles and She Drives Me Crazy by Fine Young Cannibals were also climbing the charts right around this time. Okay. You get, a little, right. you get a little sense of it. But those, one thing I will point out, those songs sound very 80s. I did yeah. not found that this, find that this album sounded particularly 80s. 
So I'll give it. I'll give it that praise. I think that's true. You definitely see uh, shades of like uh, Mariah Carey, right? Like where that's coming from. The sort of you hear it in the synth sounds. It's. A, I guess. I guess that's an interesting point. Maybe it's pushing the envelope at the time. Definitely. Maybe. And that is, that's, I think, the context that we really have to have going into this is understanding where Madonna was at in her career and what she was sort of thinking about coming into making this record. And also, of course, what kind of happened next. She had already had several hits. They were primarily club hits, dance hits, dance songs, like A Virgin, Into the Groove. She'd had a string of hits sort of through the 80s. But coming into this album, it was her fourth full album release she had just turned 30 that was particularly relevant to her because her mother who she was extremely close to and in fact named after had died at age 31 of breast cancer so she was thinking about being the same age as her mom when she died and she was really looking she had this realization that i think is important to note that her fans were growing up just like she was growing up right kind of a quarter-life crisis, realizing the fans had to, were growing too, and that she needed to move the ball forward as well musically and not just kind of keep producing the same types of hits. And so I think what you get out of that is a pretty darn experimental record that goes in a lot of different directions. I'll say right off the bat that definitely not all of them work, but I do appreciate when artists kind of feel this need to change and do something about it. And I think it's particularly challenging for someone who in some senses was already on top of the world doing world tours, making breaking in lots of money from these hit singles to say, you know what? I want to continue to be challenging. I want to continue to challenge myself. I want to do something different, varied, unexpected. Well, there's, I think there's another sort of aspect to that challenge, especially with an artist like Madonna who kind of defined a sound and like became the sort of hallmark of that sort of like they said, like that kind of dance hall pop 80s sound it's so ingrained in who she was perceived to be by the audience that deviations from that are going to be like whoa hold on a second what are you doing he comes out with like a slow jam album or something like that you're like an acoustic right right (laughs) (laughs) not that radical but you know what i mean it's true and i and i think this is really the story and i just want this to color some of the rest of our analysis it's the story of someone who's trying to be taken seriously as an artist and in that sense, this album achieved that for Madonna. She was, before this, very much relegated to being a pop star for teens, teen girls in particular. And a this, la Tiffany and Debbie Gibson. Exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah. So picture that. Right. That's kind of the pack she's running in, in terms in the minds of the critics. And she had greater ambitions, to her credit. And this, this album was critically well-reviewed. I can read from a couple reviews but effectively this is where madonna began to be recognized as an artist in quotes and not just a pop star for whatever that means and i think that i know we're gonna make fun of this album a lot and it deserves it in many many ways but you cannot deny the force of nature that madonna is in this world oh absolutely not yeah well listen you know We've talked about in the past, we don't necessarily like to comment on the physical appearances of the artists, but I don't think that you can separate Madonna from that. Like, she brought a sexuality to her music videos particularly. Her persona was very much tied up in this kind of sexuality blonde bombshell thing that she had going on. And, like, I definitely, I remember 
and this came out when I was eight years old, but I remember the video for Like a Prayer where she came out as brunette. And you're like, what? Madonna's brunette? Oh my God. And it's like, yeah, that's actually, she is actually brunette. But like, that was like such a big deal at the time because she was this sort of like blonde, I don't know what, I don't want to say bimbo, but like blonde bombshell type of sexual product that they were putting out there. And it was, it was, it was a bold move to go, it's something as trite as dyeing your hair is like a bold move when you have such a like manicured persona like that, that you've been putting forward consistently for a while. So I'm glad you brought up the videos. We, it's very difficult to separate, especially these hit songs from their MTV music videos because, and I, I definitely want to get a little deeper into that because this was a time, and this is context for folks who maybe weren't in our generation or watching MTV between the years approximately of 1987 and 1995. When I, at least personally, I see that MTV was at its zenith. But I always think of Madonna as someone who was able to really take advantage of what was a new media option, which was music videos, leverage that, be super creative with each, with each new video. She had effectively a new look. And each video right. was impressive, at least as being its own unique kind of style. Sure. Right? Some were more successful than others. And we can get into that with these songs. But yes, that was one way she was trying to express herself creatively and set herself apart from the pack. And she was able to use that as a springboard, clearly, right? So yes, I, 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 think, I think the visual element is important. Let me give you a little, a little bit of background on Madonna, too, because I just think it's interesting. First of all, I was surprised to learn that her birth name is actually Madonna. Same here. I went, yeah, <laughs> I was floored. I was like, this is a stage name. Oh, all right. Named after her mother. Her name is, her full name is Madonna Luis Ciccone. I believe that's how you say that last name. And took on that name, Madonna. And again, like she, one of the other things I thought was interesting, you know, in terms of how creative this album was, the original pressings of the album were scented with, I think it was patchouli to patchouli, simulate right. church incense. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was an interesting idea too, to get this like, yeah. I know it sounds really played Unwashed now, but I think at the time that was the church incense, either one. You know? It wasn't hippie stink yet. It wasn't, I, that came around later. I think the cover I think is, you know, not so veiled reference to the famous Rolling Stones cover, sticky fingers. So I, like, she's sure. clearly trying to put herself out there and, and do some interesting things and be this more varied person. A little bit more about her musical background, which I also found a new and interesting, which is she earned a dance scholarship at the University of Michigan. That's where she went to college and ended up in New York pursuing music. She was originally a drummer in a couple bands. And so that's actually how she hooked up with one of these producers who helped. There's two producers that run throughout this like a prayer record. One's called Patrick Leonard. And the other guy, Stephen Bray, she was in a band with previously where she played drums in the late 70s. Mm -hmm. The Breakfast Club is the name of the band, like the film. and But I think before the film came out. And they actually later had a hit, but this was after Madonna left. I couldn't find any evidence of Madonna, like recordings of Madonna playing drums, but I do think that's kind of interesting. But she left the band to pursue a solo career and be a singer. I, I just pictured, by the way, like the other members of the band and like how much they probably hated Madonna for a while. Like as she is just <laughs> breaking in millions of dollars, like iconic, so successful. And they're like, 
you could have just been the front woman of our band. Like that could have worked too. We could have been Madonna and the whatevers, you know, like right. Madonna and the Apostles, which would have been a great like, band yeah, name. You know? <laughs> You're right. I'm sure it would have had some religious under or overtones. Yes. That's that's her shtick as well. And I feel like one last thing we need to mention about what was going on at this time in Madonna's life, because as Tom mentioned, she was a bit of a blonde bombshell. She was all over the tabloids, in part because of her marriage and then subsequent divorce to famous actor Sean Penn. She made a movie with him. It got widely panned. There was What I think, was the movie? Uh, it was called was Shanghai that? Surprise. Okay. okay. <laughs> her acting was very poorly reviewed. She was definitely bummed out about it. And they were basically had just divorced at this point. And there were allegations of abuse. He's kind of known as a, a nut. I don't want to speak out of turn here, but he's a little nutty, is that, clearly. Is that the, yeah, yeah, I, I feel like there was one of his former wives accused him of like tying them to a chair and beating them. Was that Madonna that he did that to? That, that's I, Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> oh, right. I get the, I get those mixed up as well. Real life and... But he was in a canoe in Quentin Tarantino movies. with a shotgun saving people. Right. Was he really? What an asshole. I think. I don't know. He's an odd guy. At the, at the very least, he's odd, right? So anyway, they, they had just divorced, and she was looking for, for a rebirth of sorts, right? So anyway, so in comes Like a Prayer. Oh, she is way, dealing uh, with themes... That was Madonna. Apparently, uh, in the police report... Uh, she told him that she was going to leave. He tried to bind her hands with an electrical lamp and cord. Uh, she fled. Oh uh, what followed was a nine-hour ordeal, which left her deeply shaken. Penn chased her into the living room, caught her, and bound her to a chair with heavy twine. Then he threatened to cut off her hair. Wow. So, All also, right. it just goes to show, like, this is around this same time. This is like, you know, 89 Madonna. One of the most famous yep. women in the world, and still some like kind of shitty actor can feel entitled to just like beat the hell out of her because right. it's like uh, own her, yeah, right? You're Madonna, but I'm Sean Penn. I was in Bad Boys. You guys saw that movie, right? <laughs> oh no, wait, was that Bad Boys? What was that movie? No, yeah, 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 yeah the Bad other Boys. Bad Boys, the other Bad the Boys, other the one where he fills the, yeah, the pillowcase with RC Cola. Yeah, 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 of course, he beats the guy into <laughs> submission. That's a great movie. Yeah, great. That's a great note for the kids at home. If you ever find yourself in a juvenile delinquent detention center, detention yes. center uh, and you're really in a bad spot, what you want to do is you want to go down to the soda machine with your pillowcase. You want to get as many sodas as you can. You want to put them in the pillowcase. And then, you know, you want to prepare for what comes next. Yeah. Which is a party because you're going to all have <laughs> soda and settle, settle it over sodas and conversation. <laughs> So, okay, here's what the critics said, and then I want to start listening to these records, because I think there's a lot to dig into with some of these songs. A couple critical snippets I found. One critic said, Musically, it's varied, unexpected, far from instantly accessible. Lyrically, it's moving, intelligent, and candid. And they were expressing this as a differentiation from what Madonna had done before, which, again, was more in this kind of bubblegum, dance-pop arena. Another critic said, as close to art as pop music gets. Proof not only that Madonna should be taken seriously as an artist, but that hers is one of the most compelling voices of the 80s. I'm saying this not so much because I agree with it, but because I think this is, you have to understand the context of pop moving into the realm of where it might be accepted again as art. I think that every 
let's say every genre or maybe it's every decade produces these mm -hmm. artists, pop artists, and they have to slowly but surely be accepted as something that might be a little bit deeper than that. The Beatles had, a, let's say, some kind of similar struggle, right? Sure. It was fairly universally acclaimed for these reasons, right? And I know this is, it's probably one of these pieces of art that's kind of not made for us, but I'm just giving it that, that background. You know, I, I want to throw another maybe uh, later pop contextualization of trying to move away from your image. And I feel like it, it is epitomized by Christina Aguilera going from the genie in a bottle to like the dirty era Christina Aguilera. I don't know if you remember. She did that song like mm -hmm. Dirty, which was like her second album. She's like, I'm trying to sh shuffle off of this like, you know, bubblegum pop Disney yeah, the, princess the Disney thing. look. Yeah. yeah. Right. Which right. It, it just felt really, I don't know, contrived. And insincere, formulaic, and formulaic. Absolutely, it's like okay. Also, here they go. The Madonna making out with Britney Spears at the VMA thing, mm, which was like a big right, deal at the yeah. time. It's like, look, I'm a big girl now. Like I can do what I want, and I respect the fact that Madonna did it in the way of like, oh, I'm actually going to do it through like more in depth artistic approaches to my songs, and not just like pandering and being like, look, I'm not a little girl. I can have sex. Like, <laughs> right, right. I'm, well, sure. yes, and I'm sure she did a little bit of that other thing as well. But the point of my story is that we're here 30 plus years later, and whatever she did, it worked because oh, yeah. from yeah. this point yeah. on, I think this is when she truly became that force of nature that we talked about. She was a hit maker before, but this put her on, you know, the Pope's radar, for example. Right? We're about to talk about the song "Like a Prayer." <laughs> so she became a household name. And a household name known as a button pusher, as someone who was controversial, who was pushing the envelope consistently, both visually and maybe slightly musically, but probably more visually to Tom's original point. So I think there was an aspect of it, too, from from a little bit that I read was just how she was one of the first female pop artists to own her image and own her career and own the original tracks and really be driving what the product was versus you've got a team of research guys at some record company saying, Christina Aguilera, your next album needs to be sure. super, super naked. Madonna was driving it and was yeah. basically calling the shot. So I think from like a being like being a badass, she was probably one of the first female pop stars to really say like, this is my show. You're doing what I say. And yeah, I'm, I'm sure she may have gotten, you know, labeled as a bitch or something, right? The, the classic thing with, with a woman who's headstrong. But I, I think she kind of led the way in that, in that kind of female I, empowerment in the industry. I definitely think, and this isn't exactly what you're saying, but it seems very clear to me that, you know, a lot of the names we've just dropped, you know, Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, and very much so Lady Gaga, right, have just been running the Madonna playbook. Right. In different ways, turning different like elements. I like I think Lady Gaga is executing the playbook fantastically. Yeah, right? right. Whereas right. like Miley Cyrus is executing the playbook, but like she doesn't have seemingly anyway, doesn't have like emotional control over all of them. Well, right? she, this like, is, there are these explosions. Right? The thing that made me think the, the way my mind went when you were saying that, Adam, is that like for some reason and I could not define it before. When Britney Spears was sexualized and Christina Aguilera was sexualized, it felt exploitative. It, I don't feel that with Madonna. I didn't feel like Madonna was being exploited. 
I didn't, and, and right. frankly, I don't sure. feel like Lady Gaga is being exploited either. I feel like Lady Gaga is uh, like, I. This is of her own volition. There's no A and R man who's like, you should wear a meat dress. She's like, no, I want to do that. Right. Like, <laughs> I, I have control right, right. over my image in a way that, like, yeah, that's and it's a really good point that like, Madonna probably forged that path for a lot of women who's just like, yeah, you can own it, and there's there's nothing wrong with being sexual if it's your choice to be sexual. If you're yeah, 16 right. year old Britney Spears and they're like, put on this little skimpy schoolgirl outfit and talk about getting hit, like, that's exploited. Yeah. <laughs> well, it might. Yeah, I totally agree. I think she was very much flipped the script and was very much in control and had an idea what she wanted, not just visually and with her image, but also you hear these stories about the studio, too, where she was a demanding person. Mm-hmm. She was standing over the bass player. I'm sure we're going to talk about the bass track and like a prayer saying more, more. <laughs> and the bass player's like, I'm already doing an absurd bass riffing here. Like, are you sure? She's like, yes, keep going. It's gold, baby. <laughs> Okay, let's. Uh, you want to you want to segue into talking about like a prayer because I feel like there's a lot to dig yeah. into with some of these tunes. Let's. Uh, yeah. I can't imagine that you're a living human being in this day and age and you haven't heard this song. But we're gonna go ahead and play a clip of it just to make sure you know what the heck we're talking about. Here's like a prayer. What do you think about this song? So I'm glad I listened to it a couple of times uh, with headphones on. That intro, that guitar intro, first off, I wanted an entire song that was just that. Uh, that was Big awesome. thumbs up for me on that, yeah. This, <laughs> yeah. This song, so growing up Catholic, I, I think you had mentioned the Pope a minute ago that he was even aware of her. It was this thing where she was like this, not the Antichrist, but she was the anti-Madonna, <laughs> like the, the religious Madonna, right? Mm-hmm. Is that... There would be like notes in the back of the we- the weekly church thing that were like, avoid this album; it's morally reprehensible and stuff. So I wonder if there's like any bigger issues the-, the church could have been worrying about at the time. <laughs> <laughs> Anything going so- on, they could have focused on instead. <laughs> so this this caricature, or, or just I guess Madonna in general, it's it's hard for me to like break out of the way I saw her as like an eight to ten year old, which was this like off limits thing, bad influence, immoral. All that stuff. So to come back as a 40-year-old man listening to Like a Prayer, uh, yes, this song is a banger. The bass is badass. I had a hard time listening, even like listening to the lyrics or anything else because the bass is badass. A guy named Guy Pratt, I watched he had a, a, a video on, on the bass in this tune. Yeah, it, it goes from major, it hangs on minor. This is, this is a great friggin' tune, man. So... I agree. One more quick piece of background on this, since we're talking about the Pope, is it was the first song ever, as far as I can tell, that was released via a television commercial before either a video or the actual song was released to like radio stations. And it was part of a multi-ad deal she had with Pepsi. They aired it like during the Cosby show, primetime, 
Oh, shit. Right? And then, basically, the next day, the video drops. The Pope goes, sees the video, and goes, issues the Catholic version of a fatwa on her or whatever. <laughs> right. Pepsi pulls J- the ads. JP2 is pissed. Right. <laughs> Pepsi pulls the ads. She had, a, like, a three-ad three deal with them for millions of dollars. She still ended up getting paid, but they didn't do any more ads with her. And it immediate, wow. and then she kind of just leaned into that controversy. I mean, clearly yep. the video is designed with some controversy. Yeah. Maybe we should just say the video includes things like her dancing in front of burning crosses, kissing a black saint who could easily be interpreted as a, a black Jesus. She's got stigmata on her hands. Right. <laughs> you know, she's dancing in her underwear in a church. Like, there's a lot going on there. T- clearly meant to push buttons. And yeah. she, but she, it was if it was calculated, it works. <laughs> yeah i yep. just love this yep. this imagery of the the pope being like how dare you interrupt the wholesome and goodness of cosby <laughs> for your controversial <laughs> message yeah. that aged that, well. like maybe jesus wasn't white <laughs> like <laughs> right <laughs> meanwhile he keeps asking them to rewind the video oh, yeah. <laughs> i need to watch it one yeah. more time yeah. <laughs> Right, right. You got that uh, Express Yourself video, too? There's that milk drinking scene I really want to check out. That also, very bad. <laughs> Terrible. Go. Tom, what you, would you think of the song overall or on, on this, re-listen? This song, is, this song is a really, really great song. It does my favorite thing in a song, and it's come up a couple of times before. I, I basically refer to it as the black cow. You know how, like, in black cow, he's like, over now, drink your big black cow and get out of here. And they kind of like go right. It's not the note that you think they're going to hit. It's not the chord you think they're going to hit. Mm-hmm. And then like right at the end, they brighten it up and they hit that. They hit that beautiful chord and get out of here. And it's like, oh, right. and they do that with the uh, sort of like coming out of the. Um, Just like a prayer, no choice your voice can take me. And then a lot of times they go to the D minor. Mm-hmm. And then major. they brighten it up with mm-hmm. the they brighten it up with, with the, the gospel, major, and it yeah. sounds so good. Yep. I love and the choir that device. It's just like yeah, because you know, for the listeners out there, D minor is made up of three notes: a D, an F, and an A. And then an F major is made up of an F, an A, and a C. So it has two thirds of the notes are common, and so it feels really familiar. But there's just a little change that makes it like familiar. Enough that it feels contiguous, but it brightens it up to this point that I just I right. love it, and I honestly like I. It's a happy chord. It's a happy right. chord. It sounds so yeah. good, and it's so tasteful. I love that. I think it's indicative of how this song is pretty tasteful overall. Let's. I want to talk about the video for a second, though, because I do think that like you can't not talk about the video with this song. I don't know for sure. But I'm just going to guess that this song is about fucking and like the fact that it's like Black Jesus Stigmata (laughs) video. But like I'm guessing it's just like in the midnight hour, I can feel your power. Yeah, man, I've got to admit that it it starts off pretty even, but then she definitely leans into some of that sort of like earned brand equity, you know, around like her her sexuality. Well, And the other thing is that like, if this video was put out in the modern day, I think Madonna would get canceled for that video. 
because it is very much a white savior journey with black people as the props yeah. in the background for your own white betterment. And, you know, and then she's like, look at me. And they're all like smiling and dancing along with me. Like, yeah, you finally decided to be like a kind of a decent human being and say that, hey, maybe this guy who's in jail for murder didn't actually do it because I know he didn't do it. And I saw it, but I waited a long time. But hey, look, I did it now. Woo. Everything's great. Look how great I am. <laughs> Go watch the video. This will all make sense. (laughs) Yes, I I agree. Well, so clearly the mixture, she's going for a mixture of sacred and profane, right? And I think it comes right down to what she called herself. The name she gave herself is very calculated in this regard. And I think definitely sexual overtones in this song, as well as religious overtones, what with the Mm -hmm. choir and the uh, more straight interpretation of the lyrics. However... That's the cleverness of it, right? Is that she was able to kind of slip it past mm-hmm. the censors. Not not the Pope, mind you, but the most right. <laughs> most folks. And certainly MTV played the heck out of it for years to come. I think the actual use of the choir in this song is fantastic. And I actually love the way it's like triggered by the lyric, let the choir sing. And the song sort of changes from that moment forward, right? Like the energy comes in in a bigger way. Like it goes bigger. And then that is sort of what like launches you into this second song, right? Like the Like a Prayer we're talking <laughs> yeah. about right now yeah. starts at the beginning with that guitar lick and it goes to the chorus yeah. after Let the Choir Sing. And then she launches into this whole life as a mystery. Everybody must, oh no, what's what's the next part, totally, right? Yeah. Or, or is it the same lyrics? It's only but two, the, it's kind of only two parts that repeat, but then they layer on onto it, yeah. Yeah. Mm. I I actually guess I didn't realize that I think it actually is repeating the intro lyrics or like the first verse. It's just a different song now. Yeah, let's 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 play that kick in because that's a great observation, (laughs) Phil. That that is a great (laughs) kick in, and I love when the lyrics match with what's happening in the song. As opposed to say, if you were in Hall and Oates and you said "Let the choir sing" and then nothing happened. Nothing. You know, another thing, we talked about the construction of the song, because it's a pretty simply constructed song in some ways. And if I had one complaint, it's that it goes on a lot longer than I think is maybe appropriate. Like, maybe it was, it made me think, was this kind of designed for DJs? It keeps having, like, breaks, like... like, I think it was designed for the video, yeah. Or for the video. Either way, it seems to work, and I definitely like the, the back of it. You know, once the choir kicks in and the bass kicks in uh, harder, a lot better. But one of the things I thought is that even in that in this small chunk, there's not a ton of different melodies in it, right? She's repeating words, she's repeating melodies. But I think it's a great example of melodic movement within a couple bars. You kind of get you get a build, a peak, and a resolution all within a very discrete, concise section of a song. And this, and it's one of my sort of the opposite of that is one of my complaints about a few of the other songs, where I think she has the piece of a good melody, but she's not unable to make it pay off, or she's unable to kind of resolve it uh, effectively. This does it in a very condensed form. 
Rob, you you bring up something, and it's funny. I didn't think about this until right now. Uh, I I sort of goofed around with this song, like just learning it, you know, as part of listening this week. And it, again, it's a really really great example of modes in pop songwriting, right? Because as we've pointed out, right, like the song sort of starts out in D minor, and then it goes to F, right? And those are sort of like sister keys, right? But the verse, it jumps to this like B flat, right? It's like, a, yeah, I guess that's like a four, one, five situation. I don't know. Anyway, it really does this, the, the verse really feels like B flat is home, right? And it is really, really achieving that, that modal pop thing, right? Of the verse really almost feels like it's in a different key, right? And when the chorus comes, it hits so hard. Uh, but you're not changing key. It's just like a real effective. That's interesting. You know, yeah. it's just a really yeah, effective yeah. use of harmony. <laughs> you know? Right? Yeah. Yeah. It, I, no, I, I agree. It's, it's it's a very effective song. It's it's a jam. It deserves its place in the canon, I think. And it, it definitely needs to be heard. Just, But the length of it was making me think. I not too long ago read this article about Old Town Road, the Lil Nas mm-hmm. X hit. And how it's under two minutes in its song really? length. Yeah. And how that was a purposeful wow. production decision. And maybe it's just because it's a new era of streaming where they want you to play the song again. Sure. Continuously, because you're always kind of wanting more to be, you know, so maybe this is just a different era. By the time I got to the end of it, I was ready to be done with the song, even though I did like it. I thought maybe that the bass player had developed the song so he could just vamp on that <laughs> minor part for like four and a half minutes because honestly I could listen to that dude uh, Guy Pratt play all day. So he he had mentioned, and Tom you'll appreciate this He so for, for the song he had a, a, a Spectre bass with active pickups and he was putting it through an Octavia or an octave pedal and he made a note, he's like, once he played that live, he said to himself, like, why would a bass player ever play anything else except an octave pedal through, so and you I have, have a, a Spectre with, with an active? This is the Spectre. I've had yes! this for like 20 years. I love this thing. This is the baddest bass that's, that's awesome. Right, that was my last note on on the, well, the geeking out there. Let, let's just say too, so the deal with this guy, Guy Pratt, he also programmed the drums in the song. No, but apparently it, it, part of that was because that when they got to the session, he had lined up drummers for the session, and the drummer like canceled at the last second. So Madonna was yelling at him and really mad at him, and that maybe that was part of why she was like coaxing that take out of him so obsessively, <laughs> punishing him. More bass. <laughs> you screwed this up. Make it amazing. I don't know how many days he worked in the song, but basically at the end of that, he sort of got fired. He didn't feel like it went well, is basically. He left the studio not thinking it went well, and he didn't know he was on the track until until the much later. He was watching yeah. the Cosby show. Wow. He was like, hey, wait a second. <laughs> wait, hey, hold on. I, I played that. I think there was, I, on this one. <laughs> yeah, I think there was some story where he was like, "Who's wait, who is that? And they were like, it's you, dude. <laughs> He's like, oh, no kidding. So it is Madonna was like the female Fagan? <laughs> She's just like absolutely right. demanding. Just, no, other bass player, another bass player, another bass player. I need somebody else. <laughs> You'll find out if you got it when we release yeah. it. Now shut up. Yeah. <laughs> shut up yeah. I want to add one final note about this song because it feels like we're moving on from it. There are so many odd similarities between this song and uh, really Michael Jackson's Dangerous, specifically the song Black and White. But really, like, I'm intimately familiar with Michael Jackson's catalog, specifically Bad and Dangerous. And I really, like, I can't help but wonder if there is... 
some connection between the people who worked on bad because you hear a lot at which I think a lot of the keyboard sounds you hear that could have just sort of been like tricks of the trade, right? But this foreshadows things that you'll find on Dangerous. Certain songs. Dangerous sounds, is 90 or 91, yeah, right? Yeah, Dangerous is 91. Yeah. And this is recorded yep. in the wrapped recording in January 89. So like it's got the intro that's very similar to black or white, you know, like the way it cuts away. There's a lot of that octave bass like synth like what is that right all and, yeah. over uh, dangerous all over you're right dangerous. yeah, yeah. Uh, and i just you know and it, i think it should be noted that these are clearly like the king and queen of pop music at this time yeah right so and and yeah we, we mentioned the, the fake out right at the beginning of the record this is the yeah. first track on the record it opens with that's prince playing guitar kind of unsurprisingly right that's prince's style for sure and then quickly the door closes and now you're in a church hearing a a pipe organ of some sort, right? Uh, yeah, I think it's an interesting idea to throw out there. I do wish that guitar part had gone on a little longer uh, as part of Prince's contribution as opposed to what he did end up contributing, which we'll get to shortly. But yeah, a lot of ideas being thrown around. Let's move on to Express Yourself, another mega hit off of this record about female empowerment. Let's play it. Okay, again, I'm going to kick it to you guys shortly, but I just, we have to talk about the video as well. As background, someone else, someone else can describe what's going on in the video shortly, but this was a video that was directed by David Fincher of Seven and Fight Club fame. And at the time, it was the most expensive video ever made. It is currently sitting at number three most expensive video ever made. Cost around $10 million in adjusted dollars. What? Whereas... The most expensive video ever made, I'm sure you won't be too surprised to learn, is a Michael Jackson video called Scream. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Which him, costs $12 him and Janet Jackson, right? Makes yeah. me want to scream. Mm-hmm. It's all CGI it, for that. Uh, for at that, least that, that now, those were two pretty big hits, but what's interesting, as I was looking at the most expensive videos ever made, and there are some real funny ones on there. Two other ones on the top 10 were the Guns N' Roses video, really? Estranged. Wow. Again, CGI and dolphin. Hammer's too too legit to quit. <laughs> oh shit! Really? Yeah. Right. They might have just been misspending their cash. Anyway, so <laughs> isn't that just How a much? bunch of people partying around a pool? They had to pay Raul <laughs> Julia to show up in that. Yeah. Okay, I for me, I had heard this song before. Of course, I had seen the video before. These songs are all, at least all the hit songs, are kind of guilty pleasures for me. I would roll the window up. If I was in my car <laughs> at, at a stoplight. stoplight. <laughs> However, I have to say this one is my new favorite. Upon rediscovery, I like this song better than I expected to like it. Let's kick it to Tom. So one of the things that I found to be very interesting about this is that this is, and I, I didn't have the context of like her trying to move on from her previous image, but this is the anti-material girl. Like, Material Girl is like, all I care about is stuff. And this one, she's like, yeah, satin sheets are very romantic, but, like, what happens when you're not in bed? Like, you know, like, it's it's very much about a personal connection and not about conne- connection with things. And I, I found that to be a very satisfying subject matter for a song. It was really great. It, again, this is a banger. 
there are a few complaints that I have. If you're if you're interested in hearing my complaints, listeners, I think I'm ready to lay <laughs> a couple on. of them on you. Uh, first of all, <laughs> this song is a verse too long. They should have cut out one of the verses, and it would have been much better, much tighter. And I thought, oh, they did that for the music video. But if you listen to the music video, it is a different track than mm-hmm. the song. It is like a mm. substantively different track. Do they loop parts to make it no, longer for the they video? They do not loop parts. It is a different recording. They cut parts really? out. There are parts like her vocal performance is different. It is a different song. So like mm. one of the things that like I really I I just cannot get over cuz it's so cheesy um going into the chorus um the backup vocals of like you'll yeah. never come down <laughs> like it's so cheesy yeah, and horrible <laughs> they just cut yeah. that out completely on the on the music video it's not in there at all so I, um, I was watching the video and i was like wait a second why is my favorite part slash the worst <laughs> part of this song not actually here missing <laughs> um i like this they maybe that's where all the budget went they just got to redo it producing the song yeah, right. <laughs> well, that was a mistake Moving and on. then the like the the synth horns are like super chintzy on the song oh they They're are really chintzy but the synth horns are tough because it's actually a pretty rad horn arrangement but yes they just don't sound cool yeah they sound so obviously synthetic that I cannot get over it. But again, I will say this song is a banger. It does sound like the entire song is just one guy on a keyboard and then Madonna singing over it. Like <laughs> he just programmed the drums into his keyboard, used it as like a MIDI controller and like, you know, did everything on a keyboard. So for that, it's a great song. I wish there was more real instrumentation in it, but I cannot deny the power of the song. I cannot deny, again, we want to talk about the video. Madonna in this video is so hot. And like, again, I it's, it's one of those things that like, I don't want to judge a musical performance based upon the physical appearance of the person that is doing it. But you cannot separate the fact that like, it is an incredibly sexual video. She is, looks really good in the video and it's, it's, it's great. It's really great. Well, I think I think the premise that's important to understand for folks who aren't maybe in our generation would just be that this was the primary way we were intaking the music was yes. watching this video. So they it's indelibly linked to the images from the video. And this in this What you mean as a as a nine year old you weren't driving to the record store and <laughs> buying albums by yourself? Just the right. vinyl of like a prayer. I really like the original right. fidelity on that one. And the, yeah, I really like that patchouli stink that's on it. <laughs> You know, it, it, Adam, what do you want to say? So th- for some reason, I mean, we're joking about being nine-year-olds, but I didn't have MTV. On Saturday nights, either before or after Saturday Night Live, there was something called Saturday Night Videos. It was a half-hour show, and they would play like five or six of like the hot videos at the time. That was the only way that I could consume music videos. And I remember seeing this because when we were in our, our text exchange kind of leaning up to this, I had mentioned that I remembered there was like a milk scene in there where she was like acting like a cat or something. Yep. And then I went and watched the video and was thinking, oh my God, I watched this as a nine-year-old. Like it's pretty, I mean, it's not like nudity, but it is oh, definitely- It's real close. You know, though. pretty, she, pretty well, erotic. She doesn't have a shirt on for most of the video and it's shot from the back, <laughs> but you can Sorry, tell that she doesn't have a shirt of, on. And then yeah, there's that silhouette right. 
scene where she's like mm-hmm. dancing mm-hmm. behind the white screen. Like honestly, I like as a nine year old, I was like, maybe I maybe I, I do like girls. That. Maybe girls aren't gross. I right, right. I didn't remember that that part until I saw it, and then I really remember. Oh yeah, instantaneously, you're just right. like, well, that's in there. I'm sure I well, have I, a whole I, lot I, of I, weird <laughs> sexual hangups that are based upon this right now. No, it's very all, all her videos are pretty much sexualizer and even this one where she's kind of gender bending as the boss of a rainy factory with a bunch of shirtless dudes cranking gears yeah, or whatever the, the factory then, that right. apparently just makes steam <laughs> just makes steam exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but what, what i was gonna say was there is this there was this provocativeness to mtv videos that i think you mtv madonna maybe could be even credited with pushing you know all constantly pushing that envelope and i think it has something to do with a pre-internet pre-easily accessible pornography kind of world where mtv when it first came out or even when cable tv first came out it was derided as being uh rotting kids brains let's say right in various Definitely ways the devil's lettuce in there man yeah right. and <laughs> the new source of smut yeah. for our children yeah, i always as, thought as opposed that they to just like the sears catalog like lingerie section, which is probably like the most intense thing I'd seen as a kid up until then, you know. Right. But I, I always, I always thought they kind of leaned into it as they MTV got a little more mature and it was peaking around this time and maybe lasted into say ninety five, ninety six when the internet started to come online and kind of compete with salacious, at least on a salacious image level, right? And then the tide rolled back a little bit. And I think people like Madonna were always pushing that envelope, and it was carried on by by groups like TLC, who we spoke about before, and others, right? I feel like with TLC, TLC was like, let's talk about sex. You know, like, that was, like, their big thing. And they're in, like, overalls and, like, gigantic big floppy hats. They're covered up as much as possible. Like, we're going to talk about sex. And Madonna is, like, she's clearly talking about sex, but she is exuding it. In a that, way, it's not on the that nose, was the first right. TLC record and set of videos in the Waterfalls video or the Red Light Special video from previously mentioned Crazy Sexy Cool. They went f- they went full sexualized. For they, sure, that is that is true. That is true. Yes, but they learned it from Madonna because it's way post this. <laughs> Definitely I learned yeah. it from watching you. <laughs> oh, <laughs> can I make a musical observation on this one? So Phil already brought up modes, which you know it's going to be a good podcast when we're talking about modes. <laughs> <laughs> So this song, I learned this song on piano, or a little bit of it anyway, and I think this song is in G Dorian, which is basically an F, it's in the key of F with a G as its anchor chord, right? And then, wow. right. and the way you kind of know is that the very first note of the melody, the very first chord is a G, but the very first note of the melody is a B flat, right? And, which is part of the F scale. And what's right. interesting about it is that just on passive listening, the part I like best about the song that we haven't mentioned yet is the little bridge section. It's very short where they finally, but what happens in that bridge section is they drop down into F and it feels so damn good. You're talking about, and, and this, when you're gone, he might regret it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And when Let's play you're that. gone. Yes. Yeah.
I think I want to say we saw oh, a totally. move like this in Fiona in the Fiona Apple record, a very similar concept where you're in a Dorian mode, so anchored kind of a whole step above, mm-hmm. and then it feels like home also when you drop down, but it feels like a resolution that you didn't even know you needed. Yeah, I didn't catch that uh, listening to this, you know, on the way through, but I definitely know what you're talking about. Uh, and yeah, this is a great, great call. I, I feel uh, yeah, like maybe I was I mean, distracted. I uh, maybe I was distracted by the incredibly grating synth horns over that, particularly <laughs> over that like that part. They, I feel like they really step out in front, and they're just really, really it, bad. It didn't. I, they're not. They're definitely not great, but it didn't bother me that much. I, I, it's funny, fun Tom. It's it's funny you said about all all the synth and syntheticness of this because this was the one track I had flagged as actually having a nice mix of analog acoustic instruments so there's an electric piano that's got some tremolo on it if you're again headphones it's a nice kind of stereo pan and then there's also a hammond in there and i know it's a real hammond because the leslie the the synth or the the uh the fake leslie effects in the 80s were terrible this you can actually tell there's the speed of the leslie spinning speaker actually follows what what a real one would be so it made me a little happy that they were probably in the studio saw real instruments and thought hey why don't we actually use those instead of this terrible you know one, I, so. i'm gonna blow your mind here adam i did not pick up on the Le- leslie speed variations <laughs> and be like oh that must be no <laughs> really I am i the got an official we'll verified green check mark from the leslie check <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> The Doppler effect on that is perfect. <laughs> I charted it on a whatever. I'm glad you're sticking up for the song. Good, good for you, Adam. Okay, any other thoughts on Express Yourself before we move on? I think Madonna's had enough compliments for a little while. Let's dive into <laughs> Love Song. Are you wasting my I'll kick this one to the group. Uh, Tom, you want to take it? I have one note on this, which is, This is just a Prince song. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's yeah. just a Prince song and not a good Prince a song. poorly executed yeah. one, It's right? like Prince has got his cast-off material that he's just like, Ah, man, I can throw this on the Don album probably make an obscene <laughs> amount of money. It's, All right. it's a lazy... Prince song full of Prince tropes where he's not even it's like oh yeah that guitar from Kiss yeah just throw that in there every time super clean yeah yeah. every time Prince collaborates in quotes on a song he completely takes over the song it's just his song it's just his song Uh, sometimes it's like one of his other songs (laughs) like it's a song he's already released you know and it's just like (laughs) I I think one thing I'll give the song credit for is that it starts with Madonna speaking French which is a perfect hint of the pretentious nonsense to come. <laughs> oh my God. And then the very first l- lyric in the song is, are you wasting my time? Answer, yes, Madonna and Prince. Yes. <laughs> Emphatic yes on that one. Well played. So I, I, I wanted to have a discussion around this particular topic 
as it relates to this song. So I came into this having listened to this and been like, clearly that's Prince. This is a Prince song. And my assumption was that Prince is a creator with a point of view. And that is why he dominates when he collaborates with people who are maybe not creators with specific points of view. And I may be backing off of that position that Madonna maybe has more of a point of view than I'm giving her credit for. Maybe it's just that Prince is just such a force that he takes over the collaboration. But like, I kind of just assumed that it's like, oh, Madonna's just like writing lyrics for other people's songs. And so when Prince comes in with the lyrics and the music written, of course, Madonna is not going to shine through because she's just basically a backup singer on a Prince song. This is an interesting hypothesis. I don't, I'm actually less sure of that hypothesis in light of the fact that I do know that Madonna was actually intimately involved in the creative process. I feel like maybe I was not giving her enough credit for that and thinking that she was just more focused on like, how am I going to look at my music video and not like, how is the song going to sound? Mm -hmm. I couldn't get tons of direct information about how this collaboration came about. It seems like the record companies must have had a hand in it at the very least as two very popular artists of the time. But I did kind of get the hint that it didn't really go as well as Madonna was hoping. And this seems like the only real product, although Prince also plays guitar on the last track, the kind of experimental track. And, you know, so it wasn't as fruitful as they were hoping it was going to be. I don't know if that was a result of Prince's somewhat laziness here or the lack of Madonna putting the time into taking over the song on a production level or what it was. But this this is kind of a failure on all sides, to my mind, especially given that it's from two supposed powerhouses. I'm going to express a controversial opinion here, which is, has Prince actually put together a full album of listenable material? That's a very I don't good, think that's very the good case. question. I'm Prince not is- saying I don't respect the guy for a lot of things, musicianship, production, etc., songwriting, but I find most of his stuff a little unlistenable. Yeah. Like, Prince, I, I think he's got more bad than good. He's the ultimate greatest hits guy because like, he has some oh, obscenely yeah. good songs, and he has like 47 albums. With like thirty five good songs, and so like you know, right? He's definitely Zappa level uh, productive. I I mm. sort of pictured this collaboration as like I was like putting together this vignette in my head that was kind of cracking me up of like Prince comes in for like three hours and like lays this down and leaves, and it's like well they'll they'll just finish the song right. And then they were like, oh, Prince is just such a genius. This must just be a hit. Like, let's just put it out like this. And he's like, wait, wait a sec. Because the song sounded hollow to me. Like, it sounded like it was missing a lot of stuff. Not just sparse, yeah. but actually, like, yeah, the, the engineer forgot to take the, the mute button off on, like, four <laughs> other tracks. Right? And it's like, oh, crap. We bounced it without. Yeah. It, it, it's a funny concept, but I think it sounds like a lot of Prince material. I think it sounds like if you got a. AI to create a Prince, a new Prince song. You get something like <laughs> this. <laughs> new Prince hit dot AI dot net. Can we get that one yeah. too? They're like, uh, you know, like lazy country AI dot net. <laughs> the other one that we had, I believe. And well, go ahead, Adam. I was going to say, this is, this is, I've been biting my tongue that I can't stand Madonna's voice. Like she and, she and Morrissey could kind of like make a, an album that would just Dude, make me jump. We're going to get emails off now of, for sure. 
Oh yeah, right there you go. <laughs> no, she she does this thing that uh, lots of other artists do. She is a mix where like she will at times be Gwen Stefani baby talk, and then at other times be Miss Piggy. Like, and it's this weird thing where she's like, <laughs> and it just doesn't sound good. It just bothers me. Now that's not that doesn't mean you know. <laughs> She's out of key. She wasn't. I just don't like the way she sings. I think maybe she was built for Broadway. Uh, potentially, you know, her voice would fit well in musicals. I just don't like her voice on an album, especially when it's laid bare with no instrumentation to kind of uh, mask it, for for lack of a better word. When it's just her, I find it insanely grating. If you had to pick between Madonna and Cindy Lauper, where are you going? Oh my God, dude! Cindy Lauper all day. By the way, come on. <laughs> really? Well, what? Just on a vocal level? I mean, Cindy Lauper's uh, voice really is just, much um, stranger than Madonna's. I think. Yeah, it's got character. Yeah. Though. It's, it's got something to it. I um, I don't really understand this criticism. I'll be honest. I, I'm not even sure I know what you're talking about. Well, and Miss Piggy's a great singer, by the way. One thing I <laughs> one thing I will say to quiet for somewhat bolster Adam's point. Although, again, it does not bother me particularly is that there is a lot of backup vocal layering on these songs that like sweeten parts and fill parts out. And I agree that I think that when it is just Madonna's naked voice, it is not her strongest suit. Like just the timbre of her voice and like her ability to powerfully hit notes, I don't think is her strongest suit. And Rob, I would equate it to pick a guitar player whose tone you don't like. I, I don't know that. I'm thinking like yeah, you know, yeah. maybe like a, a Billy Corgan solo album where he like he plugged in 50 distortion pedals, right? He's hitting all the notes. The chords are right. It's all in tune. The melody might be good. You just don't like the tone of the guitar. And that's kind of my feeling with Madonna. I just don't like the, the sound of her voice to me is not enjoyable. The melodies are good, right? But the, it's just the, the timber and the tonal quality and how she just does her thing. Just it's not for me. No, I get the premise of subjective, you know, likes and dislikes. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I guess I'm just commenting on how insanely picky you are about vocals <laughs> of various sorts. I like to feel <laughs> like, like I'm like, good enough for you. I, I like to feel like I'm pretty picky, but I'm no definitely one. not nearly as picky as Adam is on this one. Like, man, you got a lot of nits to pick about people's voices. Jesus. Okay. And I, and my voice sucks, too, which is the funniest part, so He's I don't like, know. Is your name Paul McCartney? Right. <laughs> what era Paul McCartney are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. And again, I think a consistent problem I had with the record, a complaint I had about the record, is there's definitely in this song, there's not enough lyrics or parts or melodies or sections to justify a five-minute song. <laughs> Pretty much all the songs are too long, in my opinion, but this one in particular, because it's such a, a turd. Okay, let's move on. Let's move on to a song I think we're going to like, and another video that we all watched extensively, and then again today, hopefully, Cherish. Let's roll it.
Phil, let's, let's hear from you. What do you think about Cherish, buddy? You know, man, I was actually shocked you guys loved this song so much. I mean, don't get me wrong. You guys highlighted the absolutely ridiculously shredding bass, right? Like the last, like, whatever, minute of the song. The dude is just off the rails, right? But, like, I don't know. This I honestly feel like this record starts out with a bang and kind of just falls off a cliff. It just it gets progressively worse. I'm going to guess Cherish is the first song on side two. Because it's the best song on side two. And then it goes straight downhill again uh, into almost nothingness. I mean, is it act of contrition? It's like, so, yeah, I was shocked you guys enjoyed this so much. It didn't do it for me at all. Tom, this is my favorite song on the album. This song is good. I'm glad we disagree. Magic. I love this song. It's such a jam. The chorus is so bright. And that like pre-chorus that Romeo and Juliet will never felt this way, I bet. It's so good, the little descending chords that are going yeah, on. Yeah, something that just doesn't, you know. Again, like maybe I'm just like traumatized. Maybe it's like, you know. Maybe it's all the whale penis in the uh, in the music video. <laughs> in the video. There's whale penis? No, it's just, it's like super realistic mermaids. But like mermaids uh. are fish. From like the belly button down, and so you know, right, there's a little bit of an implication I, that Madonna wants to bang a merman. And uh, I think <laughs> her specific goal in the video was to desexualize men. Believe it or not, even though they're like built water polo players in merman gear, <laughs> they should have hired me for that. Right? <laughs> yeah, you Dad bod merman, schlubby dudes out there. <laughs> right? I'm like, out of oh, breath. I can't spread water anymore. <laughs> Oh yeah. man, I didn't I didn't it's, realize it was this video is like a like a this is basically like a this is like a proof for the entire nineties Calvin Klein vibe. Right? Like <laughs> they were like, here's what I want to do for all of Calvin Klein. I want to bang That's a fish, perfect. but can we can we mask that a little bit? Shoot so it in black and white, it'll work out fine. <laughs> so apparently one of the reasons it's her on a beach in the surf, kind of a from here to eternity reference a little bit with these mermen but one of the reasons they shot it in black and white was because the water was so cold that it made Bandana's already pale complexion even whiter so they're like how do we how do we correct for this black and white well she's going blue frankly like <laughs> the hyper realistic mer child is just disturbing <laughs> it's not it's not it's, weird. it's not palatable like i'm just like oh you're a, you're an abomination like why was that not destroyed in the womb what the you hell know, is going on here I, I didn't really think about it until right now i mean you guys are really bringing up the videos but these also i mean with the the like a prayer the cherished video and uh, the express yourself these are three really distinctly different videos i mean rob oh, yeah. you brought it up at the top but i mean i had not considered it as directly like this i mean these are these are like movie trailer level production she even so, looks different probably all shot all within six months yeah. Yeah. she changes long, her hair every yeah. time they all have distinct style and and here's another thought for context on what was going on with mtv there was this period when mtv first started no one kind of knew what a music video is they you know they had some band promo band playing live kind of videos and then mm -hmm. a few people started to put some effort into making a visual piece to go with the song the once in a lifetime video comes to mind. This was, that was earlier in the eighties. And there was a period where MTV didn't have a lot of videos at their disposal. Certainly not ones that were visually stimulating or interesting or that, or that had a lot of money behind the production. And so that I think is another aspect that the Madonna took advantage of. I don't have the financial numbers, but I think it's something she clearly pushed to spend money on early. And that led to, I believe MTV 
playing them more and more and more because why not play the best looking clip you have as often as possible possible. to keep people engaged yeah Yeah. so i think that was a really savvy kind of business decision i i have to agree with phil on this i think it's a bubblegum pop song i mean it's fine but i don't think it really fits on the record very well it's especially not in the context of her wanting to be more experimental it's a lovely hit song but it just feels like it's from another era of pop music kind of a yeah so anyway it didn't it's not it's not my favorite it's fine interestingly she's the lyric it seems to be referencing this uh, old song by a band called the association which is also called cherish and they're kind of like a sober beach boys picture that kind of vibe and they use the line that she that she kind of quotes which is cherish is a word i use to describe sort of dot 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 so I, I thought that was kind of interesting. She was she was trying to harken back, but yeah, I mean it's it's a nice little production. It's a nice melody. Kind of just feels like one thing on repeat. The video is definitely bizarre, although memorable. I actually think she's the cutest in this video. Sorry, we're still commenting on her appearance, but to me, this is the style that works for me. And uh, <laughs> but listen, they're all. It's true. They're all really Ladies distinct and interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is a nice little acapella breakdown with snaps. I listen. I think I I agree that this is bubblegum pop. This is much more like a virgin than like a prayer Madonna. But I like like a virgin Madonna. I think that those are really great. Like I we li- listened to Material Girl. That song is an awesome song. It's so good. Madonna generally to go to Adam's comment about her vocal abilities. She's a mid range singer. She doesn't do a whole lot of high singing. She doesn't do a whole lot of low singing. She kind of just like hangs out in the middle a lot. But I feel like when she goes up for that Cupid, come change my, come th-, you know, whatever that the pre-chorus line is there, I think she executes it really well. And it's a nice kind of change from what I expect to hear from Madonna. And uh, yeah, I, I again, I, I know that it is a uh, um, lacking the substance that some of the other songs on this album have, but I did find it to be just incredibly digestible. I wonder if that was like an A&R decision, where they were just like, you're going out on a limb a lot here. What if it doesn't work? Can we get... Let's throw them a yeah, bone. Yeah, can we get something Let's that's, that's going to be more familiar yeah. to, the, to the fans out there? Yeah. Adam, you have anything to add to this one? Nah. <laughs> Let's <laughs> move like it along, man. I thought you would like this song, Adam. <laughs> no, I, I do like this song. Everything's been said. And so I, I liked it because... When we announced the album last week, Tom, you had mentioned Cherish was on this, and immediately I knew the melody from, mm. my God, the last time I probably heard it was I was 10 or 12 years old. Well, no, I'm sure I've heard it on pop radio and everything, but that's where my brain went back to. It's a very memorable melody, and it's a, it's a great tune. Okay, let's round it out. Last song we said we'd talk about, Prayer for Spanish Eyes. Let's roll a little bit of this one.
So I picked this song. I was conflicted about the last song to pick. We sort of went through three mega hits and one mega collaboration that we all agreed pretty quickly didn't work. So this last song to choose was a little up for grabs. I considered talking about the experimental track at the end of the album, which doesn't exactly work, but is certainly interesting and forward thinking. Anyway, Adam at least will appreciate this. Jeff Porcaro plays drums on this track. All right, I love it. All right, they complete. You completely. It's yeah. All right, it's now my top number one song on the album. No, I thought I thought this was one of the. I thought this was one of the slower kind of non-hit songs that sort of worked. I don't. I'm not going to be putting it on a mixtape or anything. But I think it's an example of where she's trying to go for something a little slower, a little more plodding. The production quirks and the songwriting kind of come together nicely. And not only does Jeff play drums, but apparently his dad plays marimba. So they're okay. a team on this one. All right. My, my note on this was that this sounded like the most organic song in terms of the instrumentation. Like This sounded the least highly produced synthesized uh, production on the entire album. And my other note is that this song sucks. I didn't like it very much. <laughs> <laughs> but I did at least appreciate that, like, I could see Madonna in, like, uh, you know, like a jazz club with a real band backing her up performing the song. There's that like solo, quote unquote, in the middle where it's just like they kind of just cut out the vocals and they have the kind of Spanish sounding guitar, but it's really just doing everything that it was doing the entire rest of the song. And it's so boring. I couldn't. I was like, <laughs> what are you trying to get across here? This is nothing. It's it's the, the Hall of Notes. Listen to this moment where they're just like, now the solo section where the guitarist just keeps doing what he was doing. So I, my thought was that this could have been a single later in her career. But she yeah. wasn't really adept at making slow songs at this point. All her stuff was upbeat, dance numbers. And the three other ones we are, have already covered that were hits were those upbeat numbers. But later in the 90s, she sort of started producing more of these slow jams, Take a Bow comes to mind. And if there's a production problem with it in my mind or a songwriting problem, it is that the melody doesn't really pay off here. I think she has a pretty decent hook. It feels organic, and that's why it stood out to me too, Tom. But it doesn't really doesn't really pay off. And I do have one more very specific complaint. Madonna, you thought you would get this bias. How dare you? The how much heartache <laughs> line is an exact melodic copy of Like a Prayer's Feels Like Flying. Uh, Anyone how else much notice heartache? that? How much heartache? Yeah. How dare you, Madonna? <laughs> Lazy. Try- <laughs> Rob, if you could splice those at some point, then maybe we can get a back-to-back. It might be a pain in the ass, but let's see. Any other thoughts on this? I, I know we've, we've, we've spoken extensively about Madonna at this point. You, you have anything you want to add? Well, to the song or the record? Every, anything. Uh, yeah, Anything and everything. Uh, yeah, I would like to ask the question to the group. What was your least favorite song on the record? The song that like was the most jarring to me personally. Oh, uh, till death do us part came like <laughs> right jarring. after love song, and it was <laughs> yeah, like very jarring. What the fuck is that intro? It just it what just all that? of a sudden I went back five years. 
Like it was like forward thinking, kind of '90s sounding, and then that song came in, and it was like, oh, I'm back in like 1984, and I didn't like Dude, it. Dude, when, when that song starts, it's like I'm ready for like breaking news, like coming at you right <laughs> from Cincinnati, you know, from the KT. You know, it's like, what the fuck is this? Like, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> Dude, totally. <laughs> the Germans have taken Belgium. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, what? What? I'm just curious what everybody else thought. It was like the low light. The one where she's crowing about her father was, to me, the, the low light. Yeah. They're not all about her father. I'm I think they're about Jesus. <laughs> I'm just going to assume that they're all about <laughs> her father. Um, one or the other. Yeah, the, the experimental track at the end, uh, Act of Contrition, was a bit grating for me. What wasn't, that was my least... My least yeah, I mean, generally people don't like it when you like take like a drum loop and just play it backwards the whole time. <laughs> a whole bunch of other backwards going on. I feel like at least there. they went out on a limb for that one. Yeah, like, at least she was trying. I give, cre- I give credit for that one too. Yeah. yeah, it's not good, but it's experimental at least. Yeah. Whereas, like, "Till Death Do Us Part" to me sounded like Madonna was making better songs five years before, and she was like, "How about instead of." sounding like I sounded five years before. I sound like all the other garbage music out there sounded five years before, and I'll make that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we've been at this for a while. Let's round it out here. I want to hear people's opinions. Madonna's like a prayer. We've gone through it. We've analyzed it. We've complained about it and even lauded it. Is it something you must hear before you die? I will kick it to Tom first. So I'm very conflicted on my, uh, my vote on this one, and I will be very honest, I don't know what my vote is going to be even right now as I'm starting the sentence. <laughs> <laughs> Part of it is that I feel like it's the criteria. Like, how do you look at this? If you're telling me that you're never going to hear the song like a prayer, you're never going to hear the song cherish, you're never going to hear the song express yourself in your life, if you don't listen to the entirety of this album then I have to say you should listen to the album. But I I almost cannot imagine a universe where you have not heard Like, like a Prayer, <laughs> Cherish, or Express Yourself. And if that is the case, then you're just going to listen to like nine more tracks of pretty terrible songs. And so, yeah, you know what? I'm coming down on a no. I'm coming down on a no on this one because I do think that the bad outweighs the good on it overall. The good is really good. The bad is really bad. And the bad is most of the album. So it's a no for me. Cool. Let's kick it over to Adam. Yeah, I I didn't... When we first jumped into this, I didn't hate it as much as... I don't know, maybe the rest of you did. Or I won't say hate, but disliked it. I thought it was a mediocre pop album. Uh, there were a couple tunes on there that uh, I actually liked that, that we didn't include as, as, as the bangers. I thought Dear Jesse was actually a, a, a decent tune. So uh, in terms of Madonna, I'm not super familiar with her catalog. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, yeah, I think you need to hear this. I think there's a couple bangers on here. I think there are some that are mediocre, but I also feel like it's a, we like to talk about progress in bands and artists as they move forward. This is a legitimate attempt to push her own her own career, her style, her, her, her appearance as an artist forward in, in the craft. So I'm going to say, yeah, you need to listen to this. Awesome. Phil. Yeah. I mean, I actually think you guys made a lot of great points on this, in this podcast. And, uh, I think this is a really nice look into, I think Madonna, 
I'm a no on this record. Um, I actually, yeah, I mean, the record for me, just it just doesn't get there, right? Obviously, Like a Prayer crushes. Uh, and then I think it sort of just gets worse from there. Express Yourself is good. Like, like a Prayer is a high bar. Express Yourself is good. I think it continues to drop off from there. I think they hit reset on what would be side two on the LP, um, you know, with Cherish. Uh, that said, like, Madonna's must listen, right? Like, True Blue's great. Like a Virgin's great. Uh, when I brought this up to my wife, she, she mentioned the cleverness and greatness of the Immaculate Collection, her initial... Uh, <laughs> her initial greatest hits release. So Madonna's That's fabulous. Awesome. You should definitely check out Madonna, but no, I don't. I don't think you need to listen to Like a Prayer. Well, I think, boys, we have a first here in the studio Ooh. because I'm going yes, and that makes it a tie. And here's why. Wow. All right. I agree. I was a little surprised by some of the text vitriol. It's not a great <laughs> album. But it's also, to my mind, it is not a terrible failure either. I think there's plenty to like here. I think some of the songs grew on me over time. And I did find it to be a really helpful window into this person called Madonna in, in an interesting way, right? On the one hand, I was maybe a little disappointed. I was hoping to find a greater hidden gem, maybe that I didn't know, because I did like the hits so much and think of them as great pop songs. And I... I didn't achieve that, but what I did find was something a little different that I also appreciated, which was, yeah, that that window into what she was trying to do, where she was trying to push her career, some different experiments, failed and otherwise. And so, yeah, I I liked it. So we have a tie, and I believe the tie goes to... Tie goes to the runner, yes. Tie goes to the, the runner. Presenter. Madonna, yes. you're on the list, baby. Yes. Your entire career right. is validated. <laughs> <laughs> Just what you need. <laughs> Four middle-aged white Steely Dan fans think your album is okay. Right. <laughs> cool. Congratulations. Okay. Well, then all that remains is for us to talk about what are we listening to next week, Tommy? All right. Let's bring out the Albinator 5000. I am uh, excited. I, as always, listeners, this is this is one of my favorite things because it sets what my week is going to be like from here on out. And uh, for those of you who can. Those of you who are obviously not on the Zoom call, Tom is cranking the Albinator, much like those buff shirtless dudes in the Express Yourself video. He's he's really working. It those, is steam power. Those too, gears. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's wearing a miner hat, but no shirt. <laughs> and and overalls. Thank you. <laughs> it's raining for some uh, reason in yeah, this they, house. They can't I don't afford know, a but, roof right. on this factory. Yeah. Right. <laughs> all right. So. Next week, we will be listening to, dear listeners, drum roll, please. Oh, this is very interesting because it is another artist who is trying to change the way they are perceived in terms of sexuality and uh, seriousness. This is Ice Cube's The Predator. <laughs> mm. Shit. Is he, Dude, is he trying that... to up the ante? <laughs> That sounds like an aggressive album. I am not familiar at all. Uh, I'm sure Ice Cube's are the you, Predator. Are you surprised? Just, really low key and laid back. Yeah, it'll be <laughs> it'll be a first listen for me too, Adam. But okay, there right, is right. one song on this album that you have definitely heard before. Can we take Can we take a gander at what that yeah. song is going to be? Today was, was a good day. It was a good day. Yes. Oh yeah. Sure. Also, oh. check yourself. 
oh, which yeah, I feel sure. like has been sampled a million times and like redone a bunch of times. So it's a it's a good song. Good lord, there are sixteen tracks on this album. How long is it? Uh, is it an hour? Two, I mean, it, it's got to be. Like there are there Oof. are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, four minute plus songs on this album. Wow. Yeah. And okay. like it's not like a ton of skits either. This is this is gonna be a long one. Right. Strap in, boys. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. It's exciting. Great. Well, then that is another successful week wrapped. Uh, excited to listen to Ice Cube's The Predator. This coming week, join along with us, listen to it, and if you have any more complaints for us, about us, in the same realm as us, tell us we're wrong, tell us we're right, go ahead and shoot us an email over to 1001albumcomplaints at gmail. I would really like if if you listeners could write an email where you uh, speculate on our physical appearances, much like we speculate on the physical <laughs> appearances of the artists that we have uh, just reviewed. Just tell us what you think we look like. I'd be very interested to hear that. Um, <laughs> oh, I'm scared now. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to opt right? out of that one. I mean, what could they possibly say that is worse than what I actually look like? <laughs> I wasn't going to go there, but I mean, yeah, there's nothing they can say to ruffle yeah. your feathers. Yeah, that's a good yeah, point. At this point, right. I know exactly what I look like. I Yeah, it's been set in stone for a while. <laughs> Ain't getting any better. <laughs> okay. Well, it was great talking to you all. This is a lovely and enriching discussion, and we're going to call it here. Another episode of 1001 Album Complaints signing off. I have been Rob. I have been Tom. I'm Adam. And I'm Phil. Boosh. Boosh.